The Brood 10 podcasts made possible by support from Mount St. Joseph University School of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, cultivating an understanding and appreciation of the creative and critical nature of scientific thought. Climb higher at the Mount. Learn more at msj.edu. Welcome back to the Brood 10 Cicada podcast from Cincinnati Public Radio. I'm WVXU reporter Corey Sharber. Humanity has long been fascinated by the cicada. There are all sorts of symbols and artifacts from civilizations over time that give us glimpses into the roles they play throughout our existence. Once again, I'm joined by Dean of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, as well as a professor in the Department of Biology at Mount St. Joseph University here in Cincinnati, and PhD of Entomology, Dr. Gene Kritzky. He'll walk us through ancient cultural connections to cicadas, as well as more modern references and homages to cicadas in their song. Gene, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. We're going to be continuing our conversation about cicadas. And it's just interesting how there's so much you can just, just from, just from this one group of insects, you can take so much away and learn not just about them, but learn about how animals play such a major role in nature and our ecosystems and so on and so forth. But I remember a long time ago, we we discussed uh, when the uh, some of the early settlers of, of the United States, they came over here and had no idea what these things were and were just like, what the heck are these things? And it's interesting to note, like, um, the, the fascination people have had, not just, you know, back then, but even now with, with our show. Like, let's talk about, like, you know how how the interest began like how far how how far back this does humanity's interest go with with cicadas it goes back to the ancient greeks and the ancient chinese uh some of the wonderful stories about the origin of cicadas uh, is, stands out uh, back in the uh, in ancient greece uh it's a story that involves socrates uh, uh talking that uh, the cicadas were once men who uh <laughs> Uh, before the birth of the muses. And when the muses came out and they started playing music, these these men went just crazy. They couldn't stop singing. They couldn't stop making music. And they weren't eating, they weren't drinking or anything else. And so uh, the muses uh, turned these men into cicadas. <laughs> and that's in part because it was seen when these cicadas emerged, they never ate. They couldn't see them eating. And, but they sang and they sang and they sang and then they died. And so it was thought to be metaphorically what this, this whole mythos was about. And they took it a little too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, they, uh, but it's, it's what we do with mythology. We look at the natural world and we try to make sense of what we're seeing. And a lot of times, uh, especially, and this is true for ancient Egypt, uh, the action of the animal in nature was symbolic of what the theological or the mythological or the religious uh, connotations they might have had. Uh, and so, for example, in ancient China, uh, during the Han Dynasty in particular, the, uh, they used to carve a cicada in the, uh, carve jade in the form of a cicada. And they're called tongue cicadas. And I brought in a couple for you to look at so awesome. you can see what I'm talking about. And uh, the, uh, they were one of uh, several pieces of cicadas that were involved with trying to ensure the rebirth the immortality of the deceased. And they would take this, uh, this cicada and they put it on the tongue. So it's called tongue cicadas along with some, uh, other jade plugs. And uh, well, it, 
they plugged every, all nine orifices of the body with these little jade plugs. And then they put this jade cicada on the tongue. And, uh, uh that was part of the process to ensure that the, uh, uh that there'd be an immortal, uh, aspect to the deceased. And so, uh, uh, the cicada was used because it's a symbol of transformation and a resurrection because of the way its life cycle occurs. It's very similar to our previous conversation. We talked about how cicadas were are play a vital role, not just you know with uh, one creating content for our podcast, but also with the uh, overall life cycle of, of the planet. You know, they not when they uh, they contribute so much to our planet with be just one by being a food source for many other creatures, but also being kind of a a natural fertilizer for mm. the world around us. Um, we were talking about examples uh, of cicada interests, like from, well, from times, I, I'm not sure we, uh, I don't think we've, we've lived in those times. Do we have any more recent examples of? Uh, we do. And some that have actually carried over from ancient times. Uh, I had the, I had the good fortune back uh, in 1986 of, of lecturing in China. And of course, one of the things I, when I'm at the gardens in China, I was hearing cicadas everywhere. It was just great, you know. <laughs> but I visited in Shanghai. We went to the uh, Jade Buddha Temple. And uh, it's an incredible location. It's an incredible site. And, I, and next door was a little store that sold uh, religious objects. And we have them all over Cincinnati. There's stores that sell uh, everything from creches to and Catholic uh, materials and what have you. And uh, when I was in Greece just a couple of years ago, there were these uh, Greek Orthodox stores selling icons and things like that. So it didn't, it's not surprising. And what I found really startling and surprising was I walked in there and there were these large wooden cicadas. And it was like, okay. But of course, <laughs> I was quite amazed by this. So in the process of talking to them, I discovered that the cicada itself is a very important symbol in Buddhism. When you have the nymph crawling out of the ground, out of that dirt in its brown covering, it crawls up the tree, locks the trees in, and then transforms into the adult. In the process, it comes out as an all-white adult. And that's thought to be symbolic of the Buddha letting go of his earthly belongings and reaching the next level of understanding. I'm looking at the... You you brought in a uh, wooden cicada for us to look at, and I, it, it is interesting. I I wanted to note like uh one. I mean, this is a really really nice piece of of art itself. I mean, like obviously there's mm -hmm. a lot of tender love and care put into this. Like, what's the significance here? I, I'm looking at like this arrow on the head. That's uh, some cicadas actually have a marking, especially in your uh, a series of like uh, stripes that might be on uh, between the eyes, as you see there, a little back behind the eyes. And have we you know seen other examples of these like um. How many of these like may may look closer to like broods we've seen emerge around here? Like most notably, brood ten. Have you ever come across those? Uh, well, most of these cicadas that we're looking at that we saw that we saw that I saw in China were annual cicadas that came out every year, and we don't. But now they we don't know how long their life cycle is. When when were the eggs laid, and when they came out might have been not not the next year. It could have been five years, seven years. Uh, there's a, a one of the things that needs to be worked on is what are the life cycles of all these cicadas. But in those cases, these cicadas come out annually. Of course, just speaking of, just like looking at like the the, the three uh, examples of art you brought to me today, obviously the, uh, the uh, one made out of wood. What material is this one? This is like a green, kind of like a, that's green uh, kind of goes, turns white a little bit. Yeah, that's well. that's jade. And it's one of the, it's a copy of uh, one of the jade uh, uh, tongue cicadas uh, that can be used for a couple of things. Not only with in the Han dynasty, they were put on the mouth of the deceased, as, uh, on the tongue of the deceased, as I mentioned. But uh, depending on, on, on the age, they were also used as toggles. Uh, some of the, the, the robes didn't have pockets. 
And so they would actually tie that onto one thing and then that loop would wrap around the belt to hold a, a pocket or an external pocket in place or a, or a pouch of some kind. It's just interesting that just looking at these, these examples here, uh, just how, how, how cicadas play a, a vital role in so many different cultures. Um, I kind of wanted to talk more about like, um, if have we've seen any cicadas emerge in, in any other, um, fields of art, like music or literature. Oh, do, you, do we certainly. have any examples of those? Uh, it's uh, for an insect that's as noisy and in your face as a cicada, <laughs> they're there. Uh, uh, and for example, uh, Ogden Nash, one of my favorite poem poets, uh, wrote this book, uh, wrote this, excuse me, this, this poem called Locust Lover's Attention. <laughs> it's a long poem. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it starts out, my attention has been recently focused upon the 17 year locust. This is the year. When the 17 year reason, my attention has been focused upon the 17 year locust overhead underfoot, they abound and they have been 17 years in the ground for 17 years. They were immune to politics and class war and capital taunts and labor taunts. And now they've come out like billions of insect debutantes. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how cicadas just inspires, um, people to, you know, like, I mean, this, this person probably just sat down one day, just like noticing what was going on outside. Maybe, you know, he's seeing like all of the activity going on by his tree or just being driven crazy by the noises. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like how does, I guess, just, I guess let's connect this to you. Like how do they inspire you in your daily, you know, travelings? I mean, of course you've dedicated most of your life to, to observing and studying these, these insects. What are they how did they, they inspire you day by day? Well, uh, I love their biology, but I also love their history, but I also love their, their impact on culture. Uh, for example, anybody that's traveled to Provence in France will notice they're selling little flower porcelain cicadas you put on the, on the wall and put a flower in. Uh, when I was in uh, the Dordogne with my wife, <laughs> we found people selling tablecloths with cicadas all over them. And uh, it turned out uh, that is a, uh, it was, there was even a, a, a Provencal uh, folklore that said that uh, the cicada was sent by God to rouse the peasants from their afternoon siestas. And it turned out that it had the opposite effect. The cicada's <laughs> singing was thought to be so relaxing that they all would sit, <laughs> lay down and, and relax and, and enjoy the, the, the calm uh, cicada uh, songs. But... Uh, uh, but then you pick up other things. Uh, uh, I think one of my favorite stories is Bob Dylan in 1970 received an honorary degree from uh, Princeton University. He uh, was attended uh, uh, attended the ceremony with his good friend David Crosby, who certainly wasn't dressed for the occasion. And uh, David Crosby was apparently on the front row with all the dignitaries watching the events and and sucking on an orange. <laughs> and laughing <laughs> that there's Bob Dylan in a cap and gown. And uh, Bob Dylan's on the stage next to Coretta Scott King, who also received a doctor. They were observed talking throughout the, uh, not not while the, the speakers right. were going on, but, but exchanging comments. And as soon as he uh, uh, was done, he got up and walked off the, uh, the stage and then took off his cap and gown, gave it to somebody, got in a car, and they left. And a few weeks later, he wrote a song, The Day of the Locust. And that he wrote that because the cicadas of Brood 10 were screaming in the distance during the commencement <laughs> exercises. And the first line goes, oh, the benches were stained with the tears and perspiration. The birdies were flying from tree to tree. There was little to say. There was no conversation as I stepped to the stage to pick up my degree. 
and the locust sang off in the distance. Yeah, the locust sang such a sweet melody. Oh, the locust sang off in the distance. Yeah, the locust sang, and they were singing for me. It's interesting always noting, like, and especially in that, in that song, it seems like he was kind of like voicing his appreciation for, for the for the insect and song. Whereas a lot of, uh, you know, before before these the cicadas began emerging, I remember reading articles uh, across various, you know, publications. And I would always check the, the comments on whatever social media I was on. People were just like, oh, man, I got to deal with these things again. Or, oh, man, like how many of them are coming in, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, we see, like, you've just shown me all these other cultures for the... Uh, that have shown so, such a great appreciation for it. Like, how as we, I guess, as, you know, Americans, how do we learn to appreciate the bug even more? Well, our... uh, go down to uh, the uh, carousel downtown. One of the rides is a cicada. <laughs> it's a periodical cicada, the black body and the red eyes. Mm. Uh, uh, and you can see how this has pervaded things. Uh, uh, Pokemon, the the game, and, po- uh, and especially the... the uh, the game that you get on your iPhone and your, yeah. your droid, uh, there is a cicada Pokemon and it's called, uh, uh, Ninkata, Ninkata, uh, and, uh, that's the nymph. And when Ninkata, uh, transforms or evolves, it goes into, uh, uh, Ninjask. <laughs> and if you've got, a, apparently if you've got a, an empty, uh, a Pokeball nearby and, uh, there's, uh, an extra, uh, slot in their party that they were playing with this group, then the shell becomes a Pokemon huh. and that's called uh Shedinja. And so, uh, uh, the whole idea of, of course, those are uh, over 10% of the Pokemon are insect types, but to have, uh, uh, to have the cicadas one was, I thought rather neat. Uh, uh I have not been so lucky to get, uh, the cicada, but my wife has uh, gotten, uh, the cicadas. And so I did trade with her to get one. <laughs> so there's, there are now photographs of me standing next to my, uh, uh, Ninkata. <laughs> so you're, so you're actually catching cicadas in Pokemon Go like you would in yes, <laughs> doing yes. your research. And of course, the thing that's interesting, the man that developed Pokemon, uh, loved to collect insects as a kid. And he felt that kids in, in parts of Japan weren't getting that same joy of going out and discovering nature. And so by starting Pokemon, he was going to, he wanted to instill that same excitement in the kids and the process created a billion dollar industry. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, Hopefully collecting cicadas will result in another billion dollar industry. And uh, it's kind of interesting how the life cycle works, not just <laughs> in the real world, how cicadas emerge from the ground, go back into it and fertilize the planet. Well, and <laughs> in Pokemon, yes. this shell, you leave the shell. If you have enough space, damn, you, you just got another, mm-hmm. <laughs> just evolved a whole new Pokemon out of that. Uh, hopefully we get to touch more on the... Uh, Different different cultures and their appreciations for cicadas, much like I appreciate talking to you every week about the Brutan immersions in the wonderful world of cicadas. Uh, once again, Gene, thank you very much for taking time to talk with me. It's been fun. Thank you very much. Gene, I, uh, I've been asking you plenty of questions during our conversation today. Are you down for one more? Certainly. Well, this question isn't from me. It comes from one of our listeners by the name of Evan. Just how rare are cicadas with blue and white eyes, and are there any other color of eyes? That's a good question, Evan. The blue-eyed cicada phenomenon is something that came up in 2004, and it started with a uh, essentially an, uh, 
People in Baltimore started saying that Johns Hopkins University was paying $1,000 for every blue-eyed cicada that you could find. And that eventually went down in price when they weren't <laughs> to $100. And then it migrated west to the point where, where the Cincinnati Zoo was paying $100. And then I was even caught up in it where they were saying uh, that I was going to give uh, $100. And I remember some poor young kid uh, called up with, I got a blue-eyed cicada. And I told him, I'm sorry, but they're not, they're not worth $100. And he goes... I was going to buy my Nintendo with that. <laughs> so I, I had to disappoint a young, a young kid in the process. But <laughs> there really are blue-eyed cicadas. They are cicadas that uh, their eyes are a pale, light, pale blue. Uh, sometimes they look a little more white. Uh, and, but the, and they're probably around one in a million. But I've seen uh, pictures of, of, of cicadas with uh, red eyes with sort of splashes of white in there and, and uh, half white and half red. Uh, so that you find those kind of variations in eye color in cicadas uh, not common, but you will see them if, you're, if you spend a lot of time. And it's easy to see a million cicadas in some places, <laughs> so it's not a difficult process. But uh, the... Uh, uh, Genetics behind it is unknown, although it acts a little bit almost like a dilution gene. This is a gene that interferes with the full expression of the eye color and wing vein gene because both the eyes and the wing veins are very light in color. And it looks like they just don't, they didn't get enough pigment. And that may be a gene that stops that. That's what we're, we're thinking right now. Of course, earlier we were talking about the uh, different arts that were inspired by cicadas and um, how people show their appreciation, not just through, you know, through sculptures, through different types of, you know, art made out of fabric and even, I mean, even Bob Dylan name dropped cicadas in one of his songs. Um, of course, people can also, if you, if you have any inspiration, uh, you can submit cicada art of your own to us at broodx at wvxu.org. I believe Gene here has some haikus for us that you would love to read for the lovely listeners. Well, yes. Uh, one of the ways that people can uh, bring cicada culture into their lives is by taking their own creativity and applying it to cicadas. And I've got a couple of haikus to, uh, to read. This one's by Brooke Batch. And uh, it says, Nymphs break through the earth, the silent oak, now the place of rebirth and song. Another one from uh, Elizabeth Barkley. Lonely cicada, waiting all these years for love, and then it's over. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I didn't think it was going to be that heartbreaking, but you know, it's, it's getting the getting the getting the thought out is what matters mm -hmm. and expressing it creatively. I will challenge anyone though that submits any of their cicada haikus. Keep it positive. This we're going to appreciate cicada on this podcast, isn't that right? That's right. I've had I've seen a few uh, uh, haikus that are just doom and gloom and uh, uh, <laughs> want to see these things dead, sort of thing. And uh, it's, uh, it's not really they're, nice. they're here for such a short time above ground, although they're here for seventeen years. We don't get to enjoy them most of those seventeen years. And we got to appreciate it while they're here. They do so much for the planet, and we might as mm -hmm. well. Appreciate them in poem. And remember, you can always submit those to us at broodx at wvxu.org. Thanks for listening to the Brood 10 Cicada podcast. Our thanks as always to our guest expert, Gene Kritsky. You can learn more and assist Gene's cicada mapping efforts by visiting cicadasafari.org. Be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcast. This podcast is produced by Josh Shellstro with additional support and web assistance from Kevin Reynolds and Jim Nolan. For Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Corey Sharber, and you've been listening to the Brew 10 Cicada Podcast. We'll talk again next week. 